Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. And I'm extra happy today that you're here because we have part two of our three-part series with Tina B, Life Coach and Inclusion Advocate, coming up for you. Oh my gosh. Today we talk about controlling the chaos. Now, I have to be completely honest and tell you that I was hoping that Tina would come in with some kind of like list for us, you know, control the chaos by doing this, this, and this. She has this uncanny ability to tell stories with lessons embedded into them that absolutely blow my mind. So while I was hoping for a list, I am so happy that Tina delivered the lessons in this episode the way that she did, you are going to get so many nuggets that are going to help you absolutely control the chaos in your life as the parent to a child with a disability. Let's hop right in to my episode with Tina, Controlling the Chaos. Tina, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh man, we learned a lot in our first episode. And today we're going to talk about something that really um, I struggle with a ton, and it is controlling the chaos. Um, I realize every once in a while, you know, we talked about kind of the framework shift that I'll tell a story, you know, a client will come in and they just want to sign their will and get out, or they just want to like pick up my report after reading an evaluation and leave my office and they'll say, how are you? And every time I answer the question, how are you? I kind of end with like my fingers swirling and my head shaking and being like, it's crazy. And then I, you know, I'll do that for about a month and I'll be like, okay, I can shift the framework here. I can be a little calmer. I'm in charge. I'm the grown up in my house. Um, my husband's a grown up too, by the way. And, <laughs> but I'm in charge here and I can control this chaos. But if there's one struggle that I have, it is really controlling the chaos. Actually, also the loneliness, which we're going to talk about the next time we're together. Um, and that's why we're talking about those two things. See, this is self serving. You're helping me. <laughs> um, but really, I think the question is how do we organize ourselves? Um, as parents of kids with disabilities, you know, you've got the school piece and the medical piece and um, the, the devices that we have to make sure are charged or are available or are updated and all of the tools that we carry around, the toys, the special stuff, you know, the brand specific yogurt that we have to have and that kind of thing. Is there a way that we can keep it all organized so that it's accessible when we need it? That is an amazing question, and um, thank you again for having me back on. I um, appreciate this so much, and I think I have to start out with saying I love this um, segment and, and what it's called, controlling the chaos. 
And I have to be like the Debbie Downer and be like, no, we can't, we can't control it. And that's really the truth of it is that it is chaos. And how in the world can you consistently and always control chaos? You just can't like, and that's, uh, for me, it's not as hard because I'm not, I'm not really a type A person. I joke and say the only time that I dot my I's and cross my T's is when I write my name. Um, Cause I'm just a very uh, kind of just go with it type of person. But I do think that that has served me in Noelle's life and in walking through this journey of, like you said, medical devices and hospitalizations and organization and all the things is that I have learned early on that ultimately I am not in control. And I think sometimes when we believe that we are, that adds to the chaos. When we believe that ultimately I should be able to control all of this and I should have it all together. And I, you know, I think that adds to our feeling of not being enough and not having enough. And, and really the biggest moment in Noelle's life when I learned this head on that I, I, well, I mean, oh gosh, I actually have to say there was so many moments that I learned this. Um, because uh, actually right before this, you were talking about a firefighter who is septic um, and they have an organization and actually Noelle was septic. Um, Noelle had sepsis at one point and um, that was at the end of a very long hospitalization. Um, she had years and years of stomach problems. They actually thought she needed a stomach transplant for years. Uh, she was on TPN, which is IV nutrition for 18 months. And um, it was because of that, she ended up getting uh, septic from uh, a staph infection in her blood. And uh, it was when the doctor brought in the DNR that really um, hit me head on that like, oh my gosh, I am not in control. Like this is out of my control. And um, I have a faith in God. And that was really when I was like, okay, God, she's yours. Like I I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what the next moment brings, but I have to trust you. I have to trust that you have her and ultimately um, you're gonna you're gonna take care of her. And I do feel like though, when I left that hospitalization with her, I kind of left running. <laughs> you know, I was like, we're never coming back, that's it. But um, that was also still when I was in the full-time caregiver mode, when I still was the only caregiver. She didn't have a lot of nursing, so it was all on me, um, which is a very, very hard place to be in. And that's also when I think that control piece, we actually think we are in control because we're managing all of this and we're doing this and we're doing that. But really we're ultimately, you know, we can only do so much and there's only so much of it that we can carry on our own. Um, and it was soon after that, my husband and I decided to finally go on a vacation together. We had never been. And um, the vacation of all vacations we decided to do was a cruise. And here I was thinking that I was going to have cell phone service like on the cruise. I don't know why. I mean, granted, now you can have cell phone service the whole time, but this was years ago. So, um, but I thought I would have it for, you know, X amount of days or whatever. Well, we get on the ship and literally within 12 hours, we have no cell phone service. And Noelle was left at home with my mom, but also nursing. Like she had coverage, 24 hours of nursing coverage. And there was this absolute moment of panic and terror because I was like, oh my gosh, I am not in control. I can't call anybody. I don't know what's happening. Uh, you know, I have no control. And yet it was also the moment of complete release and total freedom. It was like, okay, well, you know what? 
they're going to figure it out without me. They're going to be, Noelle is going to either make it or not, but she's going to do it without me. And I, I don't have to be everything. And it was the first time I just got to, in my adult life, just let go and have that freedom. And I know many of you have never even been able to experience that yet. And I hope for you that you get to at some point because it then made me a better parent. And it, it shifted that caregiver role to parent. Like I got, now I can do both interchangeably. But before that, I think I was only caregiver. I was just always her caregiver, always in control, always trying to do everything. And the moment when I just got to be her parent was so freeing. And when I got back from that time, it was like, I was able to let her nurses do their job better. And I wasn't trying to, um, you know, control everything and to be the one who, you know, like, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, I don't know, manage everything, micromanage. I didn't have to micromanage anymore because I was like, they did it without me. So they can, and that's really been a humongous blessing in my life to realize, yes, I can do a lot and there's a lot of things that I can do, but I don't have to micromanage everything and I can trust other people. Yes, they're going to let us down because they're people, but even me, like I've let Noel down because I'm a person, like I'm not perfect, but that, um, giving up the control and realizing I can't control it all. And, and also just kind of having to, come to terms with it is chaos. It is chaos. And I mean, raising, raising kids is chaos, no matter what, <laughs> but yes. then raising, raising a child with a disability and special needs and a thousand other people involved is chaos, but we can learn to be happy in it. We can learn to make the most of it. We're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days, but I think really just shifting that perspective of you know, I can control certain things like, you know, I can control if my floor is swept or not, but I can't control if my, you know, if my child is going to take this two feet or not. And just kind of realizing the difference. Yeah. I mean, that's like, darn it. I wanted a list. <laughs> <laughs> it's like making me work again. Gosh, but so, so helpful. And like, Really, I, I don't know how you could have listened to that and not have, an, have had an epiphany of like, yeah, there's no like tub system that's going to help what's happening at this house. There's no, I can't go to the container store and fix it all. And that's like, that's what we all want. Right. But then we drive ourselves crazy, spending the money, buying the things, um, writing the list. When really it comes down to the framework shift of, I'm going to control what I can control. And otherwise yeah. I'm just going to have to realize that I am enough. And I have, um, I listened to a lot of Brene Brown and I have started to say that to myself, like, this is enough. What I am doing is enough. And I hear this a lot for, I just want to say this really quickly. Um, parents that are sending their kids to a new school, kindergarten, preschool. Um, and a lot of parents in the autism community think this, I, um, or experience this a lot because their children have so many people and therapists that are feeding into them in their early development. So ABA therapists or behaviorists otherwise, and that sort of thing. And they wanna to go to school and like kind of control the entire environment. Um, and I told them this story about when I first had a babysitter um, I, well, a teenage babysitter, like my kids hadn't had teenage babysitters and Griffin was about two and a half and our next door neighbor, two siblings came over 
I was coming up from, um, I think I had like a hearing or something. So I was coming up from court. I had probably been gone about two hours and our driveway is a hill. And my little two-year-old was like coming straight down the driveway on a big wheel. And I was like, he's going to die. He's going to die. Oh my gosh. Why did I get a babysitter? He's going to die. And then I saw his face and it was like pure joy. And the other realization I had at that time is the more people that are building into our kids, the more experiences they have, the more different perspectives they see, the more um, good and bad things that they see, you know, I mean, there's lots more adjectives to use, but like the more experiences they have, the more development they're going to get. And I was like, yeah, this is a really good thing, you know, and he's also not going to die. He's fine. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so that I love that you shifted it that way and I won't go to the container store. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you can't, the containers can help. They can help the chaos. And one thing I always like to, um, it's like a worksheet that I, that I look at and like on the inside, there's, there's an inside square and, and that's what I can control. And you can write down the things that you actually have 100% control over, you know, like your attitude, your um, approach, your response, your um, tone of voice. And then in the next, you know, square, a little bit outside of that, there's things that you can influence. There's things you have influence over. We have influence over teachers. We have influence over doctors. We have influence over things. Ultimately, though, we don't have complete and total control. You know, we have influence over our children's IEP and what they get in school. And then in the outer box are the things that are completely out of our control. And when we write those things down, that I think um, is very helpful when we can see it, like a diagnosis. A diagnosis is completely and totally out of our control. And it's not in our influence either. You know, um, how we respond to it is in our control, um, how we talk about it, how we, what we believe about it. Um, but when we can kind of, do that framework. And granted, this is not something I did not have this resource when I had Noel. Um, but now as I've gone through other health challenges with family members or whatever, um, I continue to do that because especially once you've lived this life yourself and you see somebody else walking through things, you think that you have more control over it than you do, but it's so nice to get to, to reframe it and re-reference like, okay, this is my control box. This is what I can actually do. And then this is my influence. And I think really where our struggle is, is when we try to live in the influence box as though it's our control. And I think that's where we find a lot of fighting. Like when we, when we just, when we feel like we're wearing ourselves thin and that's when we think, you know, whatever that chaos is in that influence box, that's what we think like, oh, I, I'm going to be able to manage this chaos because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show up to this meeting and I'm going to say these things and everything's going to be how I want it. And it's like, that's when we end up really struggling is because that's not our control box. That's our influence box. And when we walk into a situation realizing this, this is my influence. I can influence the teachers. Um, I, I think it gives us a lot more freedom in it. Uh, and then, and, but inside of our control box, you can control that all you want to. You can get all of the containers and you can, you know, and that's where really it's like that control box is really about self-care. That control box is really about us, you know, and how we're going to set our own selves up for success, how we're going to take care of ourselves, um, you know, what our morning routine will look like, or if we're going to exercise, what we put into our body, that is really in our control. And we tend to overlook that and start to look at the other areas. And I really think that that's how you start to manage the chaos is start managing 
that inner control box and start really showing up for the things you absolutely have control over. Yes. <laughs> that. So see, is, I did give you a little hope. <laughs> that's the secret to life. That is pure gold. So you probably have um, some other um, metaphysical way to answer this. Again, I was looking for a list, but now I've been enlightened. <laughs> be. um, so I oftentimes feel like, I always say I'm like the center of the wheel. So picture like a bicycle wheel and I'm like the thing that, that spins, but not very much. And then there's the spokes that go out and the spokes are all the people with whom I communicate. So I talk to the therapists and the doctors and the babysitters and my parents and my husband and even Griffin. And I, and I go out and I talk to all of the people about Jack. So I go to OT and I go to the rheumatologist and all the people. And then I have to tell the OT what the rheumatologist said. And I have to tell the rheumatologist what Medicaid said. And I have to tell all of those things to Brandon. And I feel like that the wires of communication um, all kind of come back to me and then I've got to spit it back out. Um, and something I used to control when it was less communication was I would write it all down. I like to use Jack's name in puns and in words. And so I wrote down Jack activities and I put them on, on the refrigerator. <laughs> like this is what we're working on. But now he's like, you know, 11, we're working on a lot. Um, and I used to have things from the doctors that I put on the refrigerator so that anybody came in my house could see what the doctors saw. Um, and it just became too overwhelming. You know, life got busy and that became too overwhelming. And it's like, I feel this obligation to do that. And I, and I take pride in the obligation, but then when it becomes burdensome is when it becomes problematic. And so how can we um, kind of control that chaos or how can we work on that concept um, where, and it might not be communication for everybody, but we're kind of like the obligation to really be the general contractors for our children feels very chaotic. Yeah, that's a great, um, a great question. And I really have to kind of think back about how I changed it because, uh, Noelle's 14. So she's a freshman and she has 20 hours of nursing a day. She has, you know, two to three therapists that come in our home every day. And then she has all the people at school and everything. And I think ultimately part of, I love you using the general contractor idea. And I think maybe what we struggle with or what we do in the beginning is that we think we have to give every detail to every subcontractor who comes in. But really, does the subcontractor who's doing the tile really need to know about how, why you picked that plot to put your house on and why the foundation and all of these things? And I think honestly, we tend to over communicate. We over communicate because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel like, oh, well, we, we, we said all the things, we told them all the stuff, but really that subcontractor, no offense, but they're just there for the tile. Like how much do they really even, and I, again, I see this more now being more far removed from it and walking through um, hospital, like hospital life now in a third person uh, model. My, my younger brother is going through, um, he actually had a traumatic brain injury. So he's going through a lot. And so now I'm walking through it third person. And there's times when I see my parents over communicating with the, you know, 
the CNA who walked in the room and they're telling the CNA way too much information that the CNA could care less about. They walk out of the room and they've forgotten it all. But the reason my parents are saying it is because it makes them feel better. It makes them feel like I'm making sure everybody knows everything that's going on. I'm giving them the best care, all of that. But sometimes we're actually wasting our time. We're wasting our time giving too many details to these professionals who sorry, but they just don't need that much. Like they just don't, it's not that they don't care that much. It's just overload. They don't have the capacity to help. The CNA can't help. The CNA is not the um, speech therapist that's going to help your brother figure out eating again or something like that, right? But but when we go back to the why, I think it does really relate to what we're going to talk about in the next episode is loneliness is because it's somebody to listen. It's somebody to talk to because there's so many times in this, we do feel so alone. And so anybody who walks in, we think like, oh, they care. They're here to help. They're here to, you know, they're here to like, listen to me. But really, if we understand what capacity they're actually going to help us in, what they really need to know to do their job, I think it would be more helpful to us. And we can just give them bullet points instead of, you know, instead of coming with our whole stack of papers and our diagnosis and all these things. And I mean, you ask about like how I organize things and how I do things. Yeah. In the beginning, I had this stack of papers. I had the binder, if you will. I don't have it anymore because guess what? Nobody cares anymore. No offense, but at 14, nobody really needs to know. And it's funny when they ask like Noel's birth history, I'm like, it doesn't matter. She's 14 now. She's a completely different person. And you wouldn't, you know, same thing I have. So I have two 14 year olds because we, we have a blended family, but I wouldn't walk into my, you know, freshman son's English class and need to tell his English teacher about his birth history. Like they don't care. He's a different person. And I think, but that's, that's just kind of our security blanket. Like it becomes our security blanket. It becomes our identity almost. It be, our identity becomes this telling this story and repeating these things and all of that. But especially, you know, at this stage, when we start to get older kids, you know, like how Jack's 11 and Noel's 14, you do enter this new phase of like, who am I now as a parent? Because now I don't need to tell these same like stories about, you know, how many blocks he could stack or, you know, what, what he did in therapy. And so it's like, as our kids get older, um, we need to change that dialogue. We need to make it more short and sweet and to the point and use bullet points and not feel that we have to, because I don't know, I guess when you said that the the wheel of the hub um, or the middle of it, I really did see that becoming an identity. And when our identity is wrapped up in that, and that's what we do and we're the wheel and we have to do this, we have to do that. Um, that's when I think, you know, then that's when you have those struggles because you're like, I'm just, (laughs) I'm the one who's orchestrating all of these monkeys. Like this is my circus and I have to orchestrate it all. Um, and so it comes back to that, you know, is that in your control? Is that really, you know, is that really important? Is that really what you need to do? And like I said, I think it just becomes an identity. It becomes something we feel comfortable with. We, it's our security. So as And in the beginning, I think it's a necessity. So I don't want to say that it's not a necessity. In the beginning, it is a necessity. And that is part of what is so hard about having a child with a disability. I mean, if you're listening to this and your child just got a diagnosis and you really are the wheel, like you are the middle because you are the one communicating with everybody. You are the one 
but don't let that become your identity. That's what you do, but that's not who you are. You know, it's like a job. It's a role you're fulfilling right now because it's a need. And I do, I, I, I have hope for you that it's going to get better, that you're not always going to have to, the role's not going to look the same, but it's not who you are. Uh, who you are ultimately is that kiddo's mom, is that kiddo's dad. You know, you're there for them and you're, you're doing this role to help them and, and to get them, but you're never going to drop the ball on them if you're first and foremost being their parent, if you're first and foremost their mom and their dad. And that ultimately is the most important piece of all of it. And I think sometimes we, we forget that and we start to just fill this role, um, you know, and, and do this job instead of being and being present with our kiddo and being their parent first. Oh man, I don't know if you saw it, but about 30 seconds ago, I just took this deep breath that was like, oh, thank you. That was so enlightening to me. I am certain it helped a lot of other people. It's like words that I've heard and things that I've read, but for somehow it's going to stick. Um, super duper helpful. <laughs> Let's come back if we can for part three and talk about the loneliness because we've kind of alluded to it a couple of times. And I think it's something that we all feel, you know, the isolation of raising a person with a disability. Um, and I think we're kind of, we're, I can feel now where the answer is, especially in what we just talked about. So that's a great segue. Let's take a break and come back next week to hit that topic. All right. Sounds great. <laughs> 